Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada, the United States and Mexico reach a deal on trade. When we began the work of updating NAFTA, we kept our focus on what really matters. The new agreement would need to preserve jobs, foster growth, expand the middle class, and support people working hard to join the middle class. We, together, have accomplished all of that. After meeting with the Prime Minister, Jason Kenney says the federal government's actions over the next few weeks will be critical. We had a very frank conversation about uh, the ongoing economic crisis in Alberta, the impact that has on Canadian prosperity and, and frankly, on unity of our country as well. And I made uh, the case for action uh, by the federal government as strongly as I could. Appreciate the Prime Minister listened and uh, seemed to, to be responsive on a number of points. And Bill Morneau aims to give us a quick update on the country's finances. Our plan is to have a fiscal update before Christmas so that we can update Canadians on the state of the economy. It's Wednesday, December 11th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So there is a new trade deal in place between Canada, Mexico, and the United States, and it looks like at last we are across the finish line, or at least almost across the finish line here, right? Well, it's so many, there are so many finish lines in a way. Yeah. I mean, there's three of them, you know, one in Mexico, one in the U.S., one in Canada, and uh, every country has its own quite complicated ratification process. The Americans, I guess, uh, it's obvious, is, is far more complicated than ours. Um, I mean, even with minority government in Canada, I think you're going to get pretty broad-based support for locking in whatever is on the table now um, and getting this off the sort of national trade agenda. Um, you know, in, in the U.S., it's, it's an extraordinary situation where you have, you know, the president being impeached and yet some sort of a tacit agreement between uh, Trump, the Republicans, and the Democrats to move this along because literally nothing is getting done in the U.S. government or in their legislative system. So it's a, it's a win all around, and, and that's the only way you can get anything done, you know, between nation states. It, it just has to be a broad-based agreement and, and a little bit that everybody doesn't like but still has to accept. Yeah, and I'm not sure how much we can go into the details because I'm not sure they're all known at this point. But uh, I think from Canada's perspective, uh, while the details are important and the trade negotiators and the government have a responsibility, obviously, to ensure that our best interests are represented, it's it really is at a high level more the fact that we have a trade agreement with the United States uh, as opposed to not having one that's important rather than what's included in that deal and what isn't, right? That, I, I think that's fair to say. You know, I mean, Canada got some movement on, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, uh, which will benefit Canadians. Uh, you know, there, there's been some movement on labor rights, uh, you know, in the Mexican workplace, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but I think you're right. It's certainty that people want. I think this is the biggest thing that's clouding, for instance, business investment. I, I keep reading that, that uh, corporations and firms are, are reluctant to invest because they don't know what the trade situation is going to be like. Uh, you know, the Trump administration and his personal moves on China and, and whatnot have created a lot of uncertainty. And um, it's the removal of that uncertainty that I think might be the biggest economic benefit uh, of this 
whole trade deal. It just sets the rules, and companies are, are pretty good at this. Once they get the rules set up in their own minds, then they just work to to uh, to uh, operate within those rules. And uh, it's the set of rules that's most important on on these types of multilateral uh, agreements. Where does this rank as an accomplishment for the Trudeau government? Of course, when Brian Mulroney put together a free trade deal with the United States and then it was expanded to become the North American Free Trade Agreement, those milestones were heralded as, as big important steps for Canada. I suspect that the process around this one might have been even more difficult for uh, the Canadian government, the current government, because the dynamics were were so different and uh, so volatile. The the parties at the table weren't as willing as they might have been in the past to to do a deal. So uh, this uh, there, there were a lot of obstacles to this, and I think the government deserves some some credit for getting it done. Oh, well, I think so too. And I mean, let's face it: if if Trump hadn't thrown the spanner into the works on trade uh, shortly after he got elected, there wouldn't have been this massive approach. I mean, thinking back, you know, the, the Canadian government, the provinces, corporations, business groups, labor unions, uh, you know, the, the, the Canadian effort was really broad-based. And, uh, you know, you get a bit of grudging, you know, uh, respect for the Trudeau government, especially for Chrystia Freeland. Uh, in this whole thing, even from the other parties who, you know, in our this era of partisanship, it's hard to get that. But, uh, you know, I, I think the Canadian government, uh, writ large, did a pretty good job of fending off what could have been an utter economic disaster for Canada had this gone off the rails. And, it, and for a long time, it really looked touch and go. And, and you know, with the, with the uh, uh, end result, not clear at all. So this is a no, we're not quite there yet, but this is a huge step forward for sure. All right. Since we're talking about economic matters, we're expecting a fiscal update from Bill Morneau, the finance minister, in the days ahead. There have been some signs that the economy is, is not doing as well as it had been. I don't, I don't think it's a crisis yet, but there were uh, not great job numbers that came out recently. So that has raised some questions about the economy. Meanwhile, Bill Morneau is uh, advancing the cause of the tax cuts that the government wants to introduce for the beginning of the new year. So what do you expect from this fiscal update? And what are you hearing from Bill Morneau in terms of the state of the Canadian economy? Well, you know, fiscal updates, this isn't a budget. It's a fiscal update. It's a statement of the finances and where things are going. So it's a little bit like... uh, you know, reading tea leaves or or uh, Rorschach tests, you know, where people see in it what they want to see. I mean, obviously, the Conservatives are going to focus on the rising national debt and, and the levels of deficits that the Liberal government is running. Um, but, you know, the Liberals have the other parties, the other opposition parties kind of on side on that. The NDP isn't complaining about deficits. You won't see the Bloc Québécois complaining about it, uh, you know, so they're going to, you know, be able to move ahead on this. Uh, you know, there is this investment problem, which I think is massive. Uh, some of it is tied to the uh, Alberta situation, the lack of business investment. But, uh, you know, Canada, Canadian companies have always been reluctant investors and tightwads <laughs> compared to other companies around the world. So, uh, you know, I think for Morno. Uh, the main idea is to project this idea that we're we're moving along, we're plodding along, we're not setting the world on fire, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, there is certainty there, and the economy is gradually improving. 
but, you know, I, I think way more is made of this stuff, Mark, frankly, after covering it for 30-some-odd years. Like, you know, people, the government doesn't decide how well the economy does. I mean, it can do stuff to make a mess, but it's very hard for it to encourage economic growth, um, even though it'll perpetually, any any party will claim credit for that. Sure. So, uh, but, you know, it, it's going to be, uh, you're going to see in it what you want to see, I think, in this fiscal update. Yeah. All right. We should mention an interesting development yesterday, the fact that Parliament is going to set up a special committee to review Canada's relationship with China. Of course, this uh, happens one year after the detention of two Canadians there in response to the arrest of Meng Wanzhou. Uh, So this is interesting on a couple of levels, first of all, on its own merits, but also because the Liberals opposed the committee and effectively suffered their first defeat in this current minority Parliament situation. Yeah, I think this is really an interesting uh, development because this is the kind of thing you never see in a majority situation. Uh, you know, the government makes every single decision on every topic and, and just rams it down everybody's throat. Now you have the uh, minority parties stepping up to uh, to force this on the uh, on the government. So the you know the Conservatives, the NDP, the Bloc, everybody agreed that it was time to take a more uh, in-depth look at Canada's relations with China, which are rocky, as you have alluded to. Um, so there's, you know, there's that. I mean, the government did get its confidence votes passed, so it was in no danger of losing any political influence, if you will, by this measure on the China committee passing. Uh, but it's probably going to lead to you know, moments of embarrassment uh, for the government, because, uh, you know, for instance, the Conservatives want to use it as a broader vehicle to make Trudeau look stupid for his many foreign gaffes. So there's that. But I do think that it's, it's, it's interesting as well because of the focus on China and how complicated things have gotten between Canada and China over the past year or so. And uh, this uh, Meng Wanzhou arrest, uh, the detention of the two Canadians there, uh, trade problems. It, it is, there's a lot to uh, untangle there. And I don't know if the committee will do any good at that, but it'll certainly provide a, a stage to uh, air these issues. All right. And finally, we should wrap up Jason Kenney's visit to Ottawa this week, which uh, was fascinating to watch. And he leaves saying that the next two weeks are going to be very interesting in terms of Alberta. Uh, Alberta's relationship with the federal government. Do you think, uh, I'm, I've, I've always been of the view that not a lot happens in, in late December in Ottawa. Uh, it's, it's, is that really the timetable for uh, determining whether or not uh, the, the Trudeau government will be on good terms with Jason Kenney going forward? Uh, the Trudeau government is never going to be on good terms with Jason Kenney because it's not Jason Kenney's interest to be on good, on good terms with the federal government. Uh, there will be continuous deadlines. There will be two weeks of this and a month of that, six months to this next thing. I mean, there's, there's, you know, uh, oil sands projects that need approval. There's pipeline development that's going on. Kenny also wants a firm deadline on the completion of the uh, of the of the pipeline segment that Ottawa is, is supporting. So you know, it's uh, there's always deadlines. This is politics. And uh, you need the drama of a deadline. But I do think it was, it sounded like it was a constructive meeting uh, between Kenny and Trudeau. Uh, even though it was only an hour long, uh, it sounds like they at least have begun the process 
uh, of a dialogue. And, uh, I mean, that's what's important, and that's how we do things in Canada. Uh, we, we talk and we get things sorted out and muddle through as best we can. Um, and these deadlines and, and spectacular claims and challenges and dares and all that stuff, is, is that's strictly for the partisan audience. All right, Dan. Thank you very much for joining us today. Have a great day. Yeah, you too, Mark. Take care. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for The Chronicle Herald. This is a progressive trade agreement that will be profoundly beneficial for our economy, for Canadian families, and for the middle class. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Lawrence Martin argues the new continental trade deal is a notable achievement. Martin writes, Far from any damage inflicted by the name-calling at the NATO summit, we now see the opposite. The securing of NAFTA 2.0 ends one of the longest-running, highest-stakes disputes in the annals of Ottawa-Washington confrontations. It's one deal Donald Trump won't be breaking. The turmoil on the continental trade front is finally over. All parties, the President and the Prime Minister, can say so with a straight face. In the Toronto Star, Irving Student argues that with the impending ratification of the USMCA, Canadian foreign policy is now officially dead. Student writes, Only two types of countries have no foreign policy, colonies and vassal states. Canada at Confederation was born a colony. Now, after more than a century and a half of trying to assert ourselves as a proud global player with independent decision-making power and substantial assets, Canada has quietly, almost with shoulder shrug, allowed itself to be boxed into the role of vassal state to an increasingly diminished United States. At National Newswatch, Glenn Pearson makes the case for softer power in a harder world. Pearson writes, Uncertainty is everywhere. And one emerging reality is becoming clearer. Hard power is disrupting the world order in unpredictable ways. The sudden and volatile geopolitical shifts have left the world in a more dangerous place, a world in which soft power must pull together in order to pull back from the edge of global anarchy. The secret is for soft powers to stay together. Should that coalition pull apart, the world will become the Wild West. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. In addition to the weekly caucus meetings today, there's a news conference being held to draw attention to global trends in terrorism. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on that. Mark, two groups will be hosting a press conference in the West Block on Parliament Hill. They are the Institute for Economics and Peace and the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies at Concordia University. For the first time, they will launch publicly the annual Global Terrorism Index. The index gives a comprehensive international look at trends in terrorist attacks year by year. This is the first time the index is being launched publicly on Parliament Hill. The event is being sponsored by the chair of the All-Party Parliamentary Committee for the Prevention of Genocide and Crimes Against Humanity, Toronto Liberal MP Ali Assasi. Uh, the press conference gets underway at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will attend question period. Foreign Affairs Minister François-Philippe Champagne will travel to Egypt. Finance Minister Bill Morneau will make an announcement in Toronto. The Minister of Middle Class Prosperity, Mona Fortier, and Minister of Canadian Heritage, Stephen Guilbeault, will speak at the launch of Winterlude programming in Ottawa. And Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will speak with the media before his party's caucus meeting. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, December the 11th. 
Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.